Chapter 19 of The Recording Angel by Edwin Arnold Renholtz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter 19 Life is a disease of which sleep relieves us. It is but a palliative. Death is the remedy. Shamfort. The early dawn of the 23rd of February gave promise of one of those rare days scattered throughout the year, which make us breathe deep, walk erect and with a light step, face the sun and floating fleecy white clouds and unfathomable depth of blue beyond with gladness, and which seem to shout to our willing senses, sorrow and death are past from the universe. To Robert, greeting the first rays of the life-giving sun from behind prison bars, it said not quite so much, but even to him it seemed the harbinger of hope, and he found himself again making plans for the future, plans vastly different from those of other days. He knew that Arndt would not be able to visit him as usual, owing to the great meeting at the mansion, so he tried to while away the hours by reading but he soon found his mind wandering to what he supposed was taking place at the meeting. He was not so sanguine of a hearty acceptance of the plan as either Arndt or his father. He knew the men they had to deal with far better than they. Still, he was convinced that without the shares his father owned and controlled, Martinvale would be unable to reorganize the company and overthrow Craggie. From that his thoughts carried him forward to the day when he could again walk the earth a free man, and so perfectly in accord with such reflections was the present day that he stood for hours at the grated window, not letting his eyes look on man's work, but gazing straight and steadfastly at the sky and clouds, and unconsciously absorbing their quieting calm. Three o'clock found him standing thus, and the insertion of the key and the opening of the door recalled him to his surroundings. He turned instantly and read on the faces of Arthur and Chandler that he was free. Bertram had been dismissed from the case about three weeks previous, owing to his having proposed to Robert to secure his release and final acquittal by means of purchased perjured testimony. Arthur said simply, "'Come, let's go at once. I have wired Arndt to prepare your father. I got my man at last.' Chandler wrung Robert's hand in silence, and then aided him to pack what he wished to take with him, leaving most of his books to be sent by express. They were out of the building and on their way to the station at four. Some time was wasted while waiting for the next train. Just before it arrived, they noticed King's carriage drive up and when he entered he came straight to them and said i congratulate you mr andy i am on my way to visit your father he is not worse robert demanded anxiously he found himself unable to personally address them aren't wired me and as you know i counseled against his having the meeting at all i thought it better to go without being sent for this time the train was one of those resultants of the capitalistic system of production and distribution which the rich inflict on the poor. Robert had tried to secure a special, but had been answered curtly that it was impossible. Their first glance at the engine and cars as they pulled into the station showed Robert that the outfit had been suited only to the scrap pile for years, but they could do no better and got aboard. 
they turned the back of one of the seats and faced each other and then robert said i suppose that there will be plenty of hot boxes on this wreck if we go over ten miles an hour craggy should be made to ride in this himself for a day or two he noticed a look of understanding pass between the others and then he turned and said to arthur you might as well while away the time by telling us of your search tell it from the beginning it should be worth hearing go on said chandler as he saw arthur hesitate king is one of us there is not much to tell until about a week ago was the reply then things began to come my way all the other time seems to have been wasted simply wasted because we were all on the wrong trail owing to the lack of the knowledge which mr craggie would not disclose i had followed mr endy as you all know and soon had evidence enough to have set him free but right there i lost myself as i have never before done i followed trail after trail only to every time land at the same spot i had the wrong man again on the string when mr craggie let me know that he wanted to see me i had been wanting to have him talk to me in some other character than a suspect for some time and therefore had given him an address where he could communicate with me at the time i did so he very emphatically informed me that i would never again do another bit of work for him or his friends but i left my card just the same and right then he unwittingly was the cause of my losing much time for i told him plainly that the guilty party could not possibly be mr endy's son and i proved it to him and then he said that he had reason to suspect a man in pennsylvania whose name and description he gave me but if the grave has not already yawned for that man i don't know what has become of him and the telling me that did not help me a particle for even now he refuses to tell the reasons for his suspicion well it did not take me long to secure that interview fortunately i was right there when the message arrived i was at the car inside of an hour it was at clyde i had a most interesting conversation with mr craggie which as it was in my capacity as agent for mr craggie i cannot divulge this much i can say chambers has been running a blackmailing scheme by means of some marvellously powerful and accurate talking machine which he had concealed in the drawer of his desk how long he has been taking down the president's private conversations none of us know his public ones as we all are perfectly aware haven't much in them and he knowing full well that the secretary's uncorroborated word could never harm him has been turning himself loose from time to time he admitted as much it was that machine that threw every one of us off the track i have never seen it and we don't know where it is but it must be nearly perfection for it took down what was said while it was inside a closed drawer and while the train was in motion though that last doesn't count for much as the president's car moves along so smoothly that there is scarcely jolt or jar not like this one there seemed to be no clue to how chambers had done his work other than his own explanation which was false in every particular until a chance word of mr c put me on the track 
then everything was clear as daylight then i had the secretary taken on a little trip up the country and i investigated the car i did not find the machine but i found another bottom for the drawer one without any holes or spring and something else i thought then that chambers had like his usual with most criminals carelessly left his trail open but i'm not so sure about that now well the next step was to go to the hotel where chambers had spent that night there i found that there were at least two persons who would swear that a conversation had been carried on in chambers room during a great part of the night of the attack on mr endy one of them i had previously talked to and it was only because i did not then know what mr craggie had to tell that i lost the trail i found that it was easy enough for a man to have entered and left the hotel any number of times that night without being seen you remember it snowed and few people are on the streets of steelton after midnight but i had still only proved mr craggie's case i had not helped ours a particle i could find no proof that chambers had left the hotel although i was by this time certain that he had gone out for the tale told by mr craggie showed that he had a motive sufficient to make him do so it was at this point that i again came to a complete standstill and as usual at such times i just walked up and down and waited for something to turn up or for some new thought on the subject i sauntered into the station at steelton and the lieutenant of police who arrested john smith of nowhere as they still call him said that smith's sentence for the rioting would soon be served and asked whether arndt intended to prosecute on the other charge i told him that he would so far as i knew then the officer said that in that case smith would get a chance to take a trip to the place he calls nowhere and that pretty soon he explained that he had heard from clyde where smith is in the county prison that he seems to be dying as some of them do simply because they can't get used to being housed up right there i had another thought like the one i had in the car and i boarded the next train and visited mr smith the smell of spring is already in the air and he is needing freedom pretty badly so when i stated my case which was that if he would tell who it was that ran away from the endy house on that night and prove what he said i would guarantee his not being prosecuted by arndt i felt perfectly justified in making that promise although there was no time to consult with anyone you see we really had scarcely enough evidence to hold him on in fact we could not have done it if that had been the only charge for he has insisted from the first that what he really said was he not i and he put up a plausible enough tale about his knowledge of the affair by saying that he had been told all about it after the occurrence by a pal of his whom he would not go back on consequently he has kept on asserting that he would prove an alibi when the time came now it appears that chambers called at the prison on two occasions to see this fellow and in his last talk with me smith again asserted the same and refused to admit a thing or take advantage of my offer he added 
I don't mind saying that I can prove by the testimony of Mr. Chambers, Mr. Craggy's secretary, that I was in his room at the hotel, talking to him at the very time you say I was making an attack on Arndt. In fact, I was there almost all night. I just laughed when I heard that and said, yes, and when Chambers, who has been very kind to you in other ways, adds to his kindness by perjuring himself for you, and when you swear to the same thing, he will have you where you cannot help shouldering the part of principal and a neat little blackmailing villainy of his by which he extorted $800,000 from President Craggy. How much of that money did you get? When he saw through that, he was hot, I can assure you, and I then said, did you ever tell him that you had followed him to his room? Do I want to be put out of the way? he asked. Never said a word like that to anybody yet, but if you'll guarantee what you said, I'll tell all I know. So I took down his testimony and had him swear to it. And it turns out that he followed the man who ran from the house, the soft snow underfoot and the falling flakes making it perfectly easy to follow very close without fear of detection. And that, although the man led him hither and yon for almost an hour, he never lost sight of him until he passed into the room which he said Mr. Craggy occupied. I told him that that would never do, since Chambers himself would corroborate Mr. Craggie in denying that. But he insisted that he had heard Mr. Craggie speaking when the man opened the door and went in, and that he knew the President's voice well enough to never forget it. He hates Craggie more violently than I thought a human being could hate anyone. He cannot utter his name without cursing, though in all his other talk he scarcely uses an oath. He says he was formerly an employee of Craggy's, and that he, because he was not deferential enough on one occasion, the president discharged him and blacklisted him, reducing him to poverty and his present condition. Of course, I know nothing about the truth or falsity of this. I can well believe every word of it, Robert asserted. Be that as it may, I must ask your indulgence for a moment, for I feel ashamed of the lack of success in this case. But when a man has to deal with two rascals who are good in spots, and who yet do not mind lying or even perjuring themselves, that person who is trying to catch up with them has a hard row to hoe. In the very outset it occurred to me that this man might have followed the other one, but even there I was on a false scent, for I thought the fact was that they were confederates, and that the reason Smith persisted in his knowing nothing was because he was standing true to a pal. During my investigation, I found out that Chambers had been kind to this man at different times, and then it occurred to me that it might be friendship for the secretary that was influencing him, and it was only after my assuring him that the evidence against Chambers was already enough to convict him of the blackmailing that Smith consented to speak at all. If people were bad all through or good all through, we could get at them easier. Now, at the rate we are traveling, there will be plenty of time to tell you everything, but if you wish me to cut it short, I will do so. By no means, 
said King. We are completely at the mercy of one of the tentacles of the octopus. We will arrive at Steelton about sunset, provided we don't break down completely, simply because of the through express. This local will have to be on the side track at that place, I understand, in order to let the through express pass. Otherwise, I should not be sure of arriving there tonight. Arthur laughed, for he saw that King was becoming irritated at their delay at every little station, and he said, "'Never travelled to Steelton on the local before, doctor?' "'Never, sir, and never shall again.' "'Poor people have to put up with it all the time,' said Chandler sententiously. "'But go on with your story, Mr. Arthur.' "'Well, you can see that Smith had a motive both times for trying to kill Arndt. He says that any working man who will shoot to kill even the lowest hoodlum or will order others to do so is a traitor to his own class, since most of the criminal element have been or are the victims of the rich. He has it all worked out in his own mind on the anarchist theory, and you ought to hear him curse the socialists. He hates them just a little less than he does Craggie. Now, his testimony in regard to hearing Craggy speaking in the secretary's room fits in so exactly with the talking machine business that I saw at once how we had all been fooled simply by Chambers being smart enough to wind that machine before he started out to attack Mr. Endy. I say wind, but in fact I suspect that there is some motor attached to the affair to make it run so long as it does. As for the motive for the attack, it was to fasten the guilt upon Mr. Craggie. But in order to explain that to you, I would have to tell you what Mr. Craggie told me in confidence. You can just take my word for it that if Mr. Robert had not been set upon by the detectives, Chambers would have had the president behind the bars on the same charge, provided that was what he wished. What he really was after, I don't pretend to know. Mr. Craggy himself is obliged to admit that there are many reasons to cause one to conclude that it was not money. This much is sure. He could not foresee that Mr. Robert was going to be implicated at all. He only intended to get his chief completely in his power. Afterwards, it was impossible for him to help the way things were going without relaxing his hold on Mr. Craggy. So far as I now know, he intended to let Mr. Robert suffer for the crime, unless he could control Mr. Craggie otherwise, but he insisted not. He expressed great pleasure at being able to bear witness to your innocence, sir. Robert's thoughts were evidently far away, and he made no reply, so Arthur turned to the others and continued, I swore out a warrant for the arrest of Chambers. No, I swore out only one. Mr. Craggie will never prosecute on his charge for various reasons. I knew that the two men had again taken to the car, for Mr. Craggie kept me informed of his movements and intentions. He had also taken the cook on board, since he knew that the whole yarn about the conversations leaking out through there was a lie. It was about half after ten this morning when I boarded the car at the pipe mills fifty miles beyond Clyde. I waited in the cook's room until we were spinning along at a clipping rate, and I had to hold a revolver at the cook's head to keep him from giving warning. As soon as I felt that it would be impossible for Chambers to jump from the train, for I could not look for much help from Craggy, I stepped out. When I opened the door, I expected to have to make a rush for Chambers, and would not have been a particle surprised to have heard the hum of bullets coming my way, for I was obliged to go in facing him. 
but as soon as he caught sight of me he arose quietly and said how do you do mr arthur i am very glad to see you there is no need to state your errand i was really becoming anxious lest even the smartest detective in the united states or perhaps in the world was not going to be able to pick up any of the clues i have been throwing about all over the country here he held out his hand and he is such a gentlemanly fellow that before i knew it i found myself shaking hands with him and that made craggy mad and he began to taunt him and sneer at him i brought that to a close for chambers turned to me and smilingly said don't you usually protect your prisoners mr arthur don't you know that words are sharper than knives gods cried craggy i wish you had remembered that before i have never forgotten it for a moment during the last four months mr president and very infrequently during the preceding fifteen years said he coolly that man is a jewel of a knave what a pity that we live under a system that perverts such abilities as he and men like him possess said king meditatively arthur continued true if we could have made an honest man out of him i would have been thankful to have taken him into partnership the two of us could have run down any rogue that ever lived i believe and then after a pause he said i shall never forget that ride he asked to see the warrant and when he noted that it was not for the blackmailing affair he laughed until i thought he would never stop well well you are certainly a clever detective but i don't think much of the courage of mr craggie why is not the other charge pressed mr president of course you could not get the money again for it is spent but i should have thought that you would like to have your revenge you know that mr endy did not die and i can be prosecuted only for assault with intent to murder and a clever lawyer such as i will be certain to retain will make it only burglary mr endy recollects nothing and you have never found the instrument with which he was struck and then he proceeded to badger mr craggie in a style that i could have enjoyed had he been any other man's prisoner so i told him that what was sauce for the goose and so forth he smiled as he paid me another compliment and said how do you propose to make me stop mr arthur do you contemplate gagging me i propose to ask you as a personal favor to not make this ride any more uncomfortable than is absolutely necessary said i you are a gentleman sir and i take pleasure in conversing with you and he turned his back on mr craggie and such a talk as i listened to for the rest of the journey it has never before been my privilege to enjoy he had men women literature and art at his tongue's end and a golden tongue it was at last he glanced out of the window and said yes we are nearing clyde and i will have to deny myself the pleasure of further conversation at present and the place to which i am going is not supposed to be very attractive to visitors i shall take pleasure in coming to see you said i how in the world did you ever find time to keep so well up with things don't make rash promises remember with what i stand charged i thank you for your courteous offer but i could not wish to see you there even as a visitor as to your question a man that remembers whatever he hears and whatever his eye once rests upon be it animate or inanimate soon acquires a stock of information in spite of himself 
i had a remarkable memory even as a child and i have strengthened it for a purpose that knows no yielding until nothing escapes me let me show you and he reached to the table and picked at random out of a pile of unopened mail a book which he hastily unpacked and he then read the first three pages rapidly then he handed it to me saying test me please on my word of honor as a gentleman it is the first time i ever saw a word of it and gentlemen he repeated those three pages verbatim how do you ever do it i exclaimed oh that one was particularly easy because i am interested in political economy you would testify as to my ability to remember and repeat accurately would you not mr arthur i certainly would said i and with pleasure if you needed it thank you sir but then really you have no idea of what i can do when i put myself to it for those subjects on which we conversed have been the recreation of a very busy and not altogether useless life worse than useless interposed mr craggie chambers paid no more attention to him than if he had not spoken turning to me from looking out of the window he said i believe that i would like to cigar these as he opened his cigar case are the brand i like best but mr craggie objects to them so on second thought i will fill the other side of the case from his box to remember him by and will smoke one of them so as not to disoblige him at the last clyde was near at hand we were running in very slowly being in the rear of the local and the president pushed the box towards me saying help yourself mr arthur i accepted and lit a scar and chambers lit his from mine and then said very seriously really i would not advise you to gamble with fate as i do for though life is a disease of which sleep relieves us it is but a palliative death is the remedy as shamfort says what do you mean said i simply that mr craggie has not enjoyed my society lately and i have been gratifying my love of gambling by smoking his cigars gambling said i neither more nor less he replied seriously chandler remarked just the other day that i was getting very thin and even more pale than usual and it is all through anxiety as to whether any of those cigars will eventually permanently disagree with me he was smoking very rapidly and did not even take the cigar from between his lips when he said i wish to thank you mr arthur for the kindly way in which you have made pleasant a most trying episode there is the depot of clyde in sight it is a beautiful country this i want you to take notice that i acknowledge my guilt on both charges though you prefer only one on further consideration i have decided to cheat the lawyers out of a fat fee i shall make no defence be careful said i whatever you say i shall have to use against you he continued to smoke very fast and paid no attention to my warning i have had an exceedingly pleasant time the last three months and more in mr craggie's society i've been a sort of big fish myself you know and i've enjoyed that almost as much as my friend the president does turning to him he said sir i hand you a communication which you will find of the utmost interest and as mr craggie took it from his hand he said good-bye sir i shall be pleased to see you whether i am going 
Mr. Craggie immediately tore open the envelope, and Chambers turned to me, and after an instant's pause, said, "'Here is my confession in writing. You may need it to set young Endy free at once. Tell him that I would never have seen him actually convicted of the crime, even though I did spirit his witnesses out of his reach.' I have carried that confession about with me ever since the day of his arrest. I am truly thankful that Mr. Endy did not— He stopped. The cigar fell from his lips, and as Mr. Craggy dropped the paper he was still holding unread while he listened, he, Craggy, almost screamed, Poisoned by Jove! And Chambers fell forward. I caught him and laid him on the floor of the car. He was dead. End of chapter 19